0: And that's how I felt. I felt like I was not just letting me down, but I was letting my husband and my baby down. And I remember we were in the hospital room and I I couldn't even move. And I looked at my husband and I was crying. And I said, I just feel like I'm letting you down. Like I should have been stronger to be able to handle this. And he looked at me and he was like, you're not letting me down. You're the strongest person I've ever met.
1: Welcome to the Birth Journeys Podcast. It is my belief that our birth journey has a lasting impact that goes far beyond delivery. It is my hope that through these stories, you would find the insight, tools, and the courage to go on and have your own positive and empowering birth journey. Just as a reminder, any information you hear on this podcast is meant to inform and encourage you on your birth journey and not intended to replace advice from your medical professional. everyone welcome back to the birth journeys podcast today we have Kelly on and she's gonna be sharing her birth story with us hi Kelly thanks for coming on and sharing your story
0: hi thanks for having me Danielle
1: (laughs) so why don't you just start out by telling us a little bit about yourself
0: yeah. So um, I'm a mom of a almost nine month old. Can't believe it. She's trying <laughs> to walk. So that's the session and stage of life that I'm in. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I live in Colorado with my husband um, and our dogs. And um, I run a company called Soulfire Productions. So we produce um, podcasts and really help people with their businesses um, and just finding alignment and strategy with everything together.
1: Oh, I think a podcast that I listen to, You Must um, Produce, um, Birthing Instincts with Dr. Stu. Yes, love Dr. Stu and Bliss. (laughs) I love Dr. (laughs) Stu, yeah. That's awesome. So I didn't know that I was, um, I mean, I, I guess I did, but I didn't realize that you were the owner of that company. Yep, <laughs> I knew that's you were that's my first somehow. baby. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, that's exciting. So it sounds like you have a busy life yes. <laughs> with a toddler <laughs> and running a company. Yep. Um, that stage where they're starting to walk and it's like so fun, but it's also scary because they're always falling and bunking their heads.
0: <laughs> she, I think she has two bumps on her forehead right now. I feel like a failure of a mother sometimes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I know. It's always hard. I'm always like, they need a helmet at that age. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> oh, gosh. So anyways, um, where do you like to say that your birth journey begins? Yeah. You know, I always felt
0: this deep desire to be a mom my entire life. I felt like it was just something that I was meant to do. And I always thought that I would have a couple kids and do the whole thing by the time I was 25. Um, But I really focused a lot on my career. And I also just never found the right person. And when I met my now husband four years ago, I knew from the second that we started talking that he was the one. And I was so excited to have babies with this man and, and, you know, learn how to parent alongside him on this crazy adventure where none of us know what we're doing and we figure it out every day. Um, and so when we first met, um, I knew that we were going to have to do IVF because he was actually born without vas deferens. And so on our first date, we had a picnic at the beach at sunset and we were talking about IVF
1: (laughs) Um, oh, wow!
0: Yeah. And it was actually an um, amazing blessing because we got to start the conversation early. And I know that for so many people, they have fertility issues or things are going on and they don't know what's happening. And I can't even imagine... Adding that layer onto everything else of just living in this unknown around fertility and why you can't get pregnant, and so I'm really grateful that he had figured that out a few years before we met, and um, that we were able to do a ton of research and really understand what that process was going to look like. And I just throughout everything held on to the the notion that I felt like my purpose um, above everything else was to be a mom. And now that I am one, I think I was very much correct. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I know. It's funny how sometimes we may not have that revelation until later. But I mean, that's, you know, we were designed for that. (laughs) It's beautiful. Yeah. So where does your pregnancy journey begin? So how did that IVF process start?
0: Yeah. Well, if anyone listening has ever done IVF, you know that it is a less than enjoyable experience for a lot of reasons. Um, So we did a ton of research and we actually, um, we lived in LA before we moved to Colorado a few years ago. And um, when we were moving here, I found, you know, one of the top clinics in the country actually has a location, a few locations here in Denver. And so um, we just started having meetings with the doctors and better understanding what the process was like and you know, it was really for me to, to get to know, um, all of the medications and the injections and the schedules and what was expected of me. Um, and I am very holistic and don't take medicine and, um, you know, um, very alternative in everything I do. And so it was a very interesting process for me to swallow the fact that I had to dive deep into Western medicine in order to have a baby. Um, And so I did everything I could to sort of counteract all of the things I was putting in my body and, you know, working with acupuncturists and chiropractors and a therapist um, to take care of myself on an energetic level, on a cellular level, on a spiritual level um, to, you know, just navigate it the best I could. That was most aligned with my values. Um, but also understanding that this is, you know, the situation that we're in. And so I'm going to have to take some drugs that I don't want to have to take so that I can yeah. have a baby. Um, and I had a really hard experience, um, especially with the birth control that they put me on. Cause I hadn't been on birth control in a really long time. And, so my hormones just got the best of me pretty quickly um, and so for the, you know, seven weeks leading up to the egg retrieval and my husband's sperm retrieval, I was, um, I was a mess and it was really scary and uncomfortable um, and I really learned a lot more about advocating for myself and asking better questions. And it's funny because I had chronic illness for 14 years. And that's why I'm so gung ho about being against Western medicine, because I was misdiagnosed, improperly treated, given a bunch of drugs at 19 years old and sent on my merry way. Um, And I holistically and with alternative medicine healed myself in a year and a half after being improperly diagnosed and treated for 14 years. And so Uh when I went into IVF, I was like, I'm going to advocate for myself. And I just sort of, I don't know what it was like this desperation to have a baby. I just lost all sense of advocating for me. And so I learned a lot about asking better questions to the doctors and we really didn't like our doctor. She had horrible bedside manner. She's a scientist. She's not like, she's not Mm -hmm. a feel good, you know? And so I felt like a number, I felt like I was being, you know, like herding cattle and, um, they were just bringing me in and out and it was very transactional. And so, you know, we had a lot of conversations after going through that about how we would do it differently. And we're actually in the process of moving to a different clinic um, here in Colorado, because I just, I really didn't like it. And I don't like how they treat their patients. And I think that if you're going to go through something so difficult, you know, getting pregnant in general is a whole thing. And then being pregnant is a whole thing and giving birth is a whole thing. And so if you have the ability to Um, advocate for yourself, to ask better questions, to put yourself in the best situation possible, then I think that we should all do that. And so that's really Mm -hmm. what I learned in that process. Um, We were really lucky we got pregnant on our first round. Um, And so I was pregnant. We did our retrieval in January. I got pregnant in April. um, And then I gave birth in January this year.
1: Wow. So what's the um, pregnancy? I mean, I'm assuming it's Probably not much different than a, like, I don't know what you would call it, a natural pregnancy. A non medicalized like, pregnancy, yes. yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, is there anything different in the pregnancy stage um, that's much different? Like, I'm assuming you must have to take more medications and stuff, or how yeah. does that work?
0: Yeah. So when you do IVF, they have you take meds until you're 10 weeks pregnant in order to hold mm-hmm. the pregnancy. Cause you're basically tricking your body into this, holding on to this foreign object. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is an embryo, but it didn't happen quote unquote naturally. And so, um, that's why a lot of, you know, things go wrong is because your body is like, no, this isn't supposed to be here. And so 10 weeks of hormones injections on top of pregnancy hormones, let me tell you, is not an enjoyable situation. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it, it sends you into this constant spiral. It's like, and it feels very outside of yourself. I'm someone who's very in touch with my body. Um, and I've done a lot of somatic work and I know what feeling healthy feels like, what feeling regulated feels like. And so I felt out of control and out of my body a lot. Um, but then once I got off those hormones, I would say like a month or so later, I feel like I did regulate a bit. Um, I did as much as I could in terms of eating really clean and you know we don't need a lot of sugar um or you know processed foods and i do feel like that made a huge difference i made sure that i was getting electrolytes i drank a lot of element and organify and just my water intake i was working on sleeping as much as i could and i worked out almost my entire pregnancy and so just really trying hard to stay regulated and grounded in my own body knowing that i had all these foreign things going on um mm-hmm. but i definitely i didn't have you know, the easiest, best pregnancy. I was really uncomfortable. I had a lot of random things happening and I, I do attribute a lot of that to IVF and I've learned a lot after giving birth, um, and just talking to a lot of different midwives. I was supposed to have a home birth. We ended up having to do a hospital transfer, which Mm. I'm sure we'll get into, but, um, having access to more midwives at the hospital was actually really interesting because my own midwife who was supposed to do my, my home birth, her team, the team at the hospital, they did a lot more research um, and looking into things. And it just sounds like IVF moms have a lot of issues um, that normal moms who get pregnant without medical intervention don't have. Um, And I think it's because we're messing with nature. Um, Mm. And so it sends your body into, um, you know, hormone, just such severe hormone swings. I mean, they basically send you into menopause to get pregnant, (laughs) which that's really weird. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, so of course there's going to be issues. And then they're with a needle putting an embryo in your body, that's going to cause problems. And, you know, depending on the health of the embryo, I'm sure that also causes issues and you're talking systemic inflammation and, and a bunch of drugs being pumped into your system and things that just aren't natural. And so I think that there's just a lot more issues than we talk about. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure, you know, this, and I've talked about this on the show, but there's just not a lot of research and a lot of things that aren't super standard. And so um, you know, there's a lot of forums and reddits and things that tell you about how, you know, uh, IVF moms have a lot of placental issues and plac- placental adhes- adhesions and abruptions and the babies come early and, you know, there's a ton of C-sections and they're skyrocketing now, you know, the IVF rates skyrocket. And so C-section rates are skyrocketing and there's a lot of, um, a lot of scar tissue and so there's just things being impacted within pregnancy and birth that we just don't hear about and is not readily available on google um and so i think that people are having really difficult experiences thinking like oh i must be crazy or there's something wrong with my body when in reality that's not the truth
1: yeah yeah i know that makes sense when you're messing with nature for things to not maybe go as smooth as they would otherwise Um, Yeah, that totally makes sense. So with your care then, you said you were planning a home birth. um, Mm -hmm. And so what did your prenatal time look like as far as like prenatal appointments and all of that? Yeah.
0: So, you know, I'm a little crazy. I had a midwife locked down at seven weeks pregnant (laughs) (laughs) I think as soon as they called me to tell me I was pregnant, I was like, let me get this midwife. (laughs) Um, I had already found a doula um, and she and I just like became instant friends. And so she had recommended um, the midwife that I found. And so I had a really easy time putting together my birth team. I felt really resourced. So I had appointments pretty early on and it was so nice. Um, You know, I've never had a different experience other than being in the hospital for my birth. But having someone come to your home and being checked in the comfort of your home on your couch with your, you know, your partner there and the dogs are around. And it just, I, I felt a lot of ease in that whole process. And, you know, my husband and I had been very clear from day one that we wanted to do a home birth and unmedicated and have a tub and I thrive in the water. And so that just sounded really good to me. Um, and so, you know, all of my care was just really beautiful i had the most amazing doula her name's sarah vogel she actually lives in virginia now so if anyone is listening to this lives in virginia i highly recommend her um and it was just i felt very loved on very taken care of um you know we did i I took the needed prenatals um and had i have the mthfr genetic mutation so um, you know, I was taking you know the folate for that and um, just really focusing on supplements and nutrition and whole foods as much as possible. Um, and like I said, just you know, self-care in every way so that I felt really good and grounded in my body. and I got a lot of massages and um, uh, acupuncture. and I feel like that really helped especially with the hormones and the regulation just, being in acupuncture on a regular basis um and so yeah I feel like my my entire prenatal care was really beautiful and really special and sacred
1: Mm. that's a blessing that you know you had to go through that very medicalized process but you were able to have that really like special prenatal time like and feel really cared for that's that's so good I Mm -hmm. love that yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, no, I have had another IVF mom on, but she didn't go as much into detail um, as you are right now. Um, but I, I'm i wondering if, you know, other people on this journey is, or do you know if choosing a home birth is common for IVF moms?
0: <laughs> yeah, I learned that after too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so it's not
0: Because a lot of people that are doing IVF are not very holistic. Um, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't necessarily go together. Um, I, I, for me, it doesn't really feel weird. It's like, well, I'm not like choosing IVF. It's, I mean, I guess I am. I could have a surrogate or something, but, um, you know, I'm doing this because I, we have an issue and we need to get pregnant a different way and we're very holistic people. But it just seems like most people who are doing IVF are just, are giving birth in a hospital, which is totally fine. Um, but what I learned afterwards. And my, my original midwife told me is that she was in all these forums because I had so many issues at the end of my pregnancy. And most midwives were not taking IVF moms anymore because there were so many placental issues and so many emergency transfers, um, which is what ended up happening for me. And so I, I mean, I will never have a home birth now. I'm super high risk, um, you know i almost died after i gave birth so i will be in a hospital and luckily we have an amazing hospital here that's run by midwives and a lot of the nurses are doulas as well and um, they were incredible they honored so much of what i wanted um, in terms of like lights off monitors, sounds off, we had crystals and music, and it was just really a magical experience as, you know, not what I wanted (laughs) as it was. Mm -hmm. It was really beautiful and I felt very taken care of. Um, But yeah, it sounds like uh, they're turning away, basically, IVF moms and saying, no, you're high risk and we won't take you. And now I understand why. Before I would have been like, that's kind of bullshit. And now I realize there's a lot going on with a woman's body after, through and after IVF that we're not testing and not taking note of. And there's just a lot of issues. And I, I can understand why midwives don't want to do that. Because you you have a life in your hands. And mm-hmm. it can go south pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So going into the end of your pregnancy, then you said that you had um, some issues arise. Do you want to get into what those were and what happened?
0: Yeah. So um, I was due um, Christmas Eve. And it was the week before Thanksgiving and I started having contractions and, um, you have to get to 37 weeks in Colorado. I don't know what the standard is everywhere else, but in Colorado, 37 weeks to have a home birth. So I was at 35 weeks, I think, um, like between 34 and 35 weeks. And so my midwife was like, cross your legs, girl, (laughs) don't (laughs) let that baby out. And so we were literally doing everything we could to keep um, the baby in. And so we can make it to 37 weeks, but I was having contractions regularly every other day. And I went in and they're, they're like, you know, we see the contractions on the monitor, but the baby's heart rate is good. You seem fine. Like, you know, nothing to worry about your body might just be warming up. Basically. It might just take longer. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure she wants to come out. And so I ended up like a week later asking for a cervical check. And I was like vehemently against doing cervical checks because I just felt like they're really unnecessary oftentimes. And
1: Mm -hmm. my
0: midwife is very like low intervention. And so she doesn't like doing them. And even she was like, I feel like we should just see what's happening. And so she checked me and by the beginning of December, I was four centimeters dilated. Her head was completely dropped. And I was like, yeah, I just, I really feel like she's trying to come out. And I was literally in labor for six weeks on and off. Wow. Every single, every other day for like three to four hours, I would have contractions a minute and a half to two minutes apart. Oh I got as goodness. close as like 30 seconds and then I would stall and then I wouldn't have them for the next day. And then the next day I would start again. And it was every like late afternoon, evening, this would happen. And sometimes it would be like almost an entire day on and off. And so We just kept monitoring it. My husband's mom came up from Texas a few times, like ready to go into labor Mm -hmm. and nothing. And I went to the hospital a few times and they're like, yeah, like everything seems fine. Your water hasn't broken. So we couldn't figure out what was going on. And so then we um, got to, I think, 41 weeks. And I looked at Connor and I was like, I can't, I think it was new year's day. And I'm like, we need to induce. Um, so we did the castor oil and it sent me into full on labor and the whole team came over and, um, I labored in the tub for about six hours till two or three in the morning. It was super intense. We were like, it's happening. And then nothing. No so way. this was yeah the wee hours of <laughs> oh Monday morning until Tuesday afternoon. And my, my water had broken on Sunday. And so my midwife by Tuesday was like, look, like, I don't like what's going on. I've never dealt with this before. I know I don't feel confident in being your midwife for a home birth anymore. And I was like, yeah, I don't feel confident in you doing this either because this is insane. No one knows what's happening. And so she said, go to the hospital, see if there's any fluid left, and then we'll have a conversation. And. So we went, and there was, of course, no fluid left, and everything seemed fine. Like the baby's heart, we, heart rate was good. I was okay, and they're just like, "This is like what you're telling us is not adding up. You need to come in, and we're going to induce tonight." And so, my entire birth team was on board with me going in and and taking this route, um, which made me feel better because I I was so against it, but knowing that I had all these women that I very much respected and trusted say like, "No, this is the right decision." Made me feel really supported, and so we went in. We did the pitocin. We induced for over 24 hours. Nothing was happening, um, and I ended up having to get an epidural. I went into back labor, and I, I like, I just couldn't handle the pain. I couldn't stand anymore. I hadn't slept in weeks, and my body was just so done. And so I basically had to be talked into getting an epidural, and it was just, it was the hardest decision of my life, and I. I remember going to my husband and I share this, um, because I really feel like I don't want other moms to feel like they failed if their birth plan didn't go the way they wanted. Um, or like they're letting someone down and that's how I felt. I felt like I was not just letting me down, but I was letting my husband and my baby down. And I I remember we were in the hospital room and I I couldn't even move and I looked at my husband and I was crying and I said I just feel like I'm letting you down like I should have been stronger to be able to handle this and he looked at me and he was like you're not letting me down you're the strongest person I've ever met like I can't believe you've even gotten this far like it's okay and that was just a really important conversation I remember my midwife she looked at me and she goes I understand where you're coming from, but I want to make this clear to you. There's a difference between suffering and like having a hard time. She's like, you're so far past having a hard time and so deep into suffering, that I'm now worried that you're going to have a more traumatic birth because you're not, you know, allowing yourself to be taken care of. And so I made the decision. And so we got the epidural (laughs) And still nothing happened. And we're just like, what in the world is going on? And so we had another midwife come in. I think this was the third one. She checks me and she goes, did you have a LEAP procedure? And I said, yeah. 10 years ago and elite procedure is what they do when you have hpv they go in and they freeze off the cells um, because you know they can be cancerous or become cancerous and she goes you have a ton of scar tissue from that procedure and that's why you've been in labor for six weeks because you keep basically opening up and dilating and then your body shuts down she goes does it feel like you're hitting a wall I said yes that's literally what i've been telling you telling everyone i'm like it feels like i hit a wall she goes that's because you are you're hitting a wall your body won't let you keep going yeah. and so she she just swiped the scar tissue with her fingers and i dilated within 10 minutes to five centimeters wow yeah and um i went into labor a few hours later and pushed her out in an hour and a half and everything was like totally fine. I was able to move and get on all fours and, you know, do all those things that were really important to me. Um, I ended up like giving birth to her on my back, but it just felt really good to me to, to be laying down. And my husband was able to catch her and, you know we figured out her sex together and it was really amazing um and so that piece was really beautiful um and just crazy that it was all because of this procedure um but then 20 minutes after i gave birth my placenta was not coming out and they kept trying and it just wasn't happening and then all of a sudden there was this huge gush of liquid and i started to code and um they were basically having to like tear my placenta out of my body, and there was I was losing all of my blood, and so they had to rush me off to emergency surgery to do a transfusion. I think I had a three-bag transfusion, and then they also had to do a DNC to get all the rest of the placenta out, and then shove a bunch of gauze and a balloon and do a whole thing. Um, and so, yeah, I had a near-death experience on that table, um, but within 20 minutes was all good. Bleeding had stopped and was back with my husband and daughter in the recovery room. (laughs) Wow. Yeah.
1: So did they not have to put you under for that procedure?
0: Um, Well, I already had the epidural, so I was already like pretty out of it. And then I just like, I wasn't, I wasn't like, well, I was conscious, right. But I wasn't really conscious. I wasn't there. So I don't think they had to do anything else. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wow. So in and out in 20 minutes and you were back in your room. Yeah. That is wild. So (laughs) insane. Yeah, I'm like a huge advocate for like home birth and, you know, natural birth as well. Um, But in those situations, I'm always like, thank goodness for modern medicine and Mm -hmm. the ability, you know, to be able to do that. Because, yeah, like you may not be here if, you know, you didn't have that that where you were you know
0: yeah totally and I mean it's hard because modern medicine caused the problem Uh and then modern medicine had to fix the problem it's just (laughs) it's a little bit of a head spinner because you're like "Mm, well if you guys maybe didn't do these procedures that are probably (laughs) unnecessary then we wouldn't all have a bunch of scar tissue and what I had learned is that most women in my situation they all they all have c-sections okay and so the fact that I didn't even have to have a c-section I'm so grateful not I mean you know I was a c-section baby so was my husband I know that you know it happens but mm-hmm. no one want I don't think some people do I'm sure but most yeah. people don't want to choose to have a c-section and cut open if you don't have to and so I was just so grateful it just makes me really sad that women are put in positions they don't need to be put in
1: mm-hmm. yeah and so I'm assuming you went over your medical history with your first midwife. Did she know that you had had that procedure done in the past? You know, that's
0: what we talked about. And neither of us know. Um, She didn't have it written down. And I don't even know if I even thought to bring it up. Okay. You know, it was like 25. It was such a like afterthought of a procedure. I I wouldn't even even considered it a surgery. Um, It was so basic and simple and. Um, you know, that's also, I think part of the education is to realize that the, the simplest, most minute procedures can have lasting effects on your body.
1: Mm-hmm. And as a
0: 25 year old, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I think that it's important to understand, like, it doesn't matter how minute or not a big deal. You felt it was like, it could have an impact on what's going on.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I've actually caught myself, you know, I've had Um, a couple miscarriages and for one I did have a DNC and I remember I I did the same thing I was filling out paperwork for something going over my medical history and I didn't even think to list that on there Mm because you know it is more of a procedure not really a surgery but like they also do kind of consider you know so it is like it's easy to like not you know, because you weren't like cut open, <laughs> in, like this right. big, you know, thing. So yeah, that totally makes sense. And yeah, I'm glad that you're able to now like bring awareness to that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that might make the difference in someone else's journey. Well, you I,
0: be after sharing our story, I had so many people message me that they had also had really difficult births and they also had the leap procedure and they okay. either had C-sections or ended up with, you know, aftermath in the hospital. Um, and then I have friends who are getting pregnant or are pregnant now, and they're having those conversations with their doctors. Like, Hey, I had this procedure. This is a possibility of what could happen. What are we going to do to make sure that, you know, I don't have the same situation as my friend, um, Mm -hmm. because it's running rampant with I'm 35 years old and I can't tell you how many stories I've heard since sharing mine that are very similar. And I think that it's, it's our age group that really started getting the leap procedures um and so we're the ones now having babies and so you're seeing the direct correlation
1: wow yeah that's so interesting and what a like godsend for that that midwife that came in and thought to ask you that question and was able to then you know like help that along yeah that's amazing (laughs) i know I love I'm like that. you were
0: my angel. <laughs> it was,
1: yeah. She was meant to be there. Wow. Mm-hmm. So your immediate postpartum was pretty crazy. You had, you know, the, the DNC and all of that. And, um, so let's go back to when you, um, were then back in your room with your daughter and how was that, you know, that those first moments where you were able to, you know, be with her and, and, all
0: of that. Yeah. I mean, uh, this is what I wish that I didn't have the epidural, you know, it kind of takes you out of the moment a little bit. And I think that the first couple weeks of her life were pretty foggy for me. Um, and I also think, I mean, I lost almost all of my blood mass. And so I think that also had a huge impact of course, because I felt oh, yeah. very foggy and not present in my body. And I think it took me a while, especially having a, an NDE, like I left my body i knew i i I had the option to leave and i literally chose to come back and i felt myself come back and i think that it took me a little while to really come back and to be in my body and to be present to my life Mm -hmm. i didn't even know until a couple months ago my husband said the first night we got home because i think we stayed in the hospital two nights after she was born he goes the first night we got home you know you didn't sleep with her and i'm like what are you talking about of course i didn't he's like no you slept in bed i slept on the couch with her because you needed to sleep i didn't even remember that and you know so there's just like a lot of those things i remember being in the room with her and and that first night and just being up and i was just so happy to like hold her and um you know i had colostrum coming in so breastfeeding her and um changing her little diapers and listening to her coos and it was just so special and i was so excited that it was a girl because i had always wanted a boy first and of course i got exactly what i needed and um yeah it was just it was really magical and just to be with my husband and to feel so grateful to be alive and and be with her um and really i mean after that other than (laughs) It was an insane time and, you know, I had nine stitches and all these things. The first couple months, I I felt really good. Um, I feel like the endorphins were really driving the ship, um, which I'm sure most (laughs) moms with newborns would probably say, yeah, that's what you need. It's like coffee on times a thousand. Mm -hmm. Um, So it wasn't really until after her like four month sleep regression where things started to get a little hard for me postpartum.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah it's amazing how we can even after like a more traumatic birth how we can tend to be on like a a birth high you know (laughs) and then yeah i mean it just stinks because then eventually sometimes it does kind of come to a head and and then that can start kind of catching up to us Mm -hmm. so when you say that um around four months postpartum what happened to to kind yeah. Of bring you down like that. Yeah, I mean, so
0: we were co-sleeping until about four months, and then she just like transitioned herself to her crib. We had her taking naps during the day in her crib, in her room, and then um, it just, she just like liked it in there, and she slept better, and she was more comfortable, and I don't think she likes really being held while she's sleeping, other than, you know, if you're rocking her, she just like kind of likes her space, and so I think that was a hard thing for me. And then she wasn't sleeping at all. She had slept amazing up until that point. And I was getting sleep through the night and I felt really good. And, um, and then she just wasn't sleeping at all. And I think that my hormones, um, and then not sleeping, it just kind of sent me into a bit of a spiral. Um, so from like four to six months, I was just, I was kind of in a dark place and I was having a really hard time and I was very emotional. And um, not really feeling good. And I was just so beyond exhausted. Um, I, I just felt like I wasn't functioning, you know, the way I normally would, which I mean, I, we have very unrealistic expectations for ourselves postpartum. And, and I realized that, um, but I had to really like slow down and take a step back. And, um, and then we went to Hawaii when she was seven months and she basically didn't sleep the entire trip. And I learned a lot about How vacationing with babies is not vacation and um you know need that learning experience first time mom and um yeah so i think that it was just like a lot in a short period of time and i just had a really difficult challenging time adjusting to it um and then once she started sleeping better again um, i think that that really helped me i think sleep has been just such a big part of my entire journey and I started to feel myself regulate and things just started to sort of ground and, and calm down. And so I haven't really had much of the postpartum depression issues since I would say like seven, seven and a half months. And she'll be nine months this next week. So it's been like the last four to six weeks where I've really felt like I've sort of come back into myself and hit my stride and and feel really good. And even, you know, nights when she's not sleeping, I don't feel like I need naps or whatever. I feel like I have that sustained energy and not that I'm not tired and my brain's not broken sometimes, but I do feel like I'm a little more quote unquote normal, um, and just a little more, um, even keeled than I had been.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't sound like you had to struggle for, for two with it for too long then. Mm-hmm. That's a blessing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, So what about, you know, you losing so much blood and having the transfusions and everything? Did you feel the effects of that and like having to recover from that physically? Was there anything you had to do to support your body through that?
0: Yeah. So I did, um, start taking a, I think it was a plant-based iron supplement. Um, cause I, I didn't realize like most iron supplements are pretty crap. So I had this specific one, um, that Um, really, uh, like methylates, um, and metabolizes better in your body. So I was on that for probably 12 weeks. And then I just really focused on, you know, I mean, we already eat like this, but red meat and organ meat. Um, my husband hunts, we live in Colorado, so I have heart and liver, um, pretty readily available to me. So he was cooking that a lot for me. Um, and then I just focused on a lot of whole foods and, um, hydration, And that was pretty much it. I don't feel like there were long lasting effects. Um, mostly because I think I've really taken good care of my body, especially during Mm -hmm. pregnancy and just right after postpartum, I had a postpartum doula, um, And so I was having meals cooked for me. My husband's mom was here and was helping cook. My brother came and was helping cook. And so I had a lot of, you know, bone broth and nutrient dense foods. And I think that made the biggest difference. I think when women struggle, the thing that I hear the most is just the nutrition is not there and the support's Mm -hmm. not there. And I had multiple people in my house for the first six weeks of Rose life. And I really credit that to me being able to heal and not having to get up as much and, you know, healing from the stitches and, and just the depletion of my body. Um, and we have a sauna. And so I, I started to sauna pretty shortly thereafter, because I, I knew I had been pumped full of a bunch of stuff, my, people's blood. That's not mine as well as a bunch of drugs. And so, um, you know, I was in the sauna, I was taking baths, um, and just making sure that I was just replenishing my body as much as I could.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's so important. And I think, especially in that stage of you know, fresh postpartum and you were not really getting sleep and healing and all of that. Sometimes, you know, like we're so consumed with taking care of this new little human that we forget to take care of ourselves. And, you know, we kind of just like eat what we can when we can. And, you know, we don't really take that time to truly like nourish our bodies and replenish everything that you know, is, has been taken from us, especially while breastfeeding. Cause that's, you know, so depleting in itself as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I totally think that that would make all the difference in the world to have that support and that like true self care of your body while you are healing. Yeah. It's yeah. So important. Something that I like scream from the rooftops on, on the show a lot, because I know I hear so often of women, you know, coming home and, just trying to get right back to their daily routines and stuff and not taking that precious time to rest and heal and you know, not everyone has the access to the support, but when you do like absolutely take advantage of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's such a blessing.
0: I mean, I just, I took two months off. Um, I'm, I, I own and run my own company. So, um, you know, I felt like dedicated and committed to being present. And I mm-hmm. also wish that I had taken four months and we are planning to get pregnant again next fall. And my goal is that with baby number two, I, I, prepare so that I can take four months off. Mm -hmm. Um, because I just felt like I rushed myself back. My brain wasn't working. I missed meetings. I was late to things. It's so not me. And I just felt a little bit disheveled and like very stretched too thin. And, um, I just, I really want to honor myself a little more and honor the fact that, you know, my daughter's almost nine months old and I'm so sad because I'm like, slow down. And I just, I don't want to miss things. And I do have the ability to make my own schedule and say, Hey, you guys handle this. And, um, and so I want to take advantage of that as much as possible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so important to do that. And, especially when you're able to, you know, because mm-hmm. not everyone, unfortunately, not everyone is able to do that. But yeah, it's, it's something that's so needed. And, you know, our babies, like you said, there it goes so fast. It's like, you blink, and they're already doing the next thing. And it's like, wait a second. <laughs> how insane. did that happen? I know. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. It's that first year is such a whirlwind of you know all the all the things. It's like you know the the sleep and the all the new milestones and the you know just healing and you know our, I I don't know like my brain like how you you just mentioned like my brain I, you know my baby's seven and a half months and I my brain is still not working and yeah I'm like, girl. is it ever gonna is it ever gonna come back like. <laughs> Uh, so I totally relate to that I
0: I promise it does
1: uh, yeah I promise
0: it does it feels like it's never going to you know I just, it's so funny it's like um Everything feels like it's so long and really it's just these like short spurts yeah. and it feels mm-hmm. especially in the middle of the night it's like oh my god am i is tomorrow going to come <laughs> <laughs> Yeah right You're like this night is literally going to last forever mm-hmm. and then you get on the other side and you're like and this is the only reason we keep recreating and you're like oh it wasn't that bad I'm going to do oh, it yeah. again Totally You know it's just it's so funny how mm-hmm. our brains work like that and I do think you're I mean you're in survival mode right. in a lot of ways And it's hard when you, you know, have things going on and you've achieved or you've had success or you just feel so devoted to your work or whatever it is for you. And then all of a sudden you just you push pause in a lot of ways. And you're like, Mm -hmm. will I ever have those pieces of me back? Will my brain ever be optimized the way it was? Will I show up on time for meetings again? And (laughs) then one day you wake up and you're like, huh, I feel clear. And it's, it's just, it's interesting. And it's, it's just your body and the process. And I think that we could all do a better job of showing ourselves grace as Mm -hmm. we go.
1: Oh, totally. Yes. Oh, so um, did you have anything else from your pregnancy, birth or postpartum time that you want to share? Or did you feel like you covered everything that you wanted to talk about
0: yeah no I feel like um, I feel like you know we got into the weeds I feel like I covered everything Um, I think at the end of the day my biggest takeaways are just to advocate for yourself no matter what kind of birth you're having whether you're in a hospital a home birth a birthing center um, just to advocate for yourself and ask better questions and not be afraid to really stand up for what you believe in and your values and um, take care of you You know, Mm -hmm. we are not vaccinating. And when we were leaving the hospital, we had everyone and their grandmother coming in and tell us we were going to kill our baby and, and judging us. And my husband and I really held strong and, and just didn't let it get to us. And I feel really good about that. Um, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean there's a right or wrong way. I think every family has to do what's best for them. But I think at the end of the day, you have to be willing to stand strong in your decision and to take care of you and not let people influence you to do things that you don't want to do. Um, and I think that if you can do that, you'll have a much more aligned experience. Um, and yeah. Just show yourself grace. I'm not good at it. And so that's why I say it. I, it's such a reminder for me is like, oh, this is not easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there are so so many moments that are just like so challenging and overwhelming or sad or there's grief within you know the process of birth and and just allowing yourself to be present to what comes up and, and to not judge yourself and to ask for help when you need it. There are people that can show up for you and want to show up for you. And I think it's important for us to, especially as women, to really learn to receive and allow people in so that we can feel supported in this Mm. huge transition.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's some beautiful advice. So you kind of answered my question before I asked. (laughs) I usually that's usually my ending is, you know, what, what's a piece of advice you'd want to give to a first time mom? Um, So is that pretty much what you think you would say? again? Yeah, I think (laughs) so. I I stick with it. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. So did you have any resources that you used um, to help prepare for your birth or even, you know, going on your IVF journey? Um, Were there things that you used to educate yourself or prepare yourself for, um, you know, your birth journey?
0: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. Birthing Instincts is an amazing resource. Um, I loved listening to that podcast. Um, You know, I think that there's a fine line. I think that we don't want to hear negative birth stories because we don't want to have that in our heads. And I think it's important to have information. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I felt like, oh God, if I tell my birth story, I'm gonna put this in someone's head that this is gonna to happen to them. I don't think we need to take on other people's experiences as our own, but I think that we just need to be well-versed because what if you don't realize that you have something going on and mm-hmm. you listen to this podcast and you can look at the doctor and say, hey, do you think maybe it's this thing? And then they check you and it is like, I don't know. That could happen, right? It's how I've yeah. lived a lot of my life. I've listened to podcasts and it's how I healed from chronic illness is I heard about what a functional medicine doctor does and how they can test you and what Ayurveda does. And, and so I think the more tools we can have in the tool belt that we can pull from at any given moment, it it allows us to not live in fear. I, even given my experience, I do not live in fear. I know that bad things can happen and I know amazing, beautiful, miraculous things can happen. I am a living, breathing testament to that. And so I think that if we can really just stay grounded and present, have all of our tools, know when to pull them out and not live in fear, I think that allows us to be really empowered. Um, I read some amazing books when I was pregnant, I read, um, it starts with the egg before I got pregnant. Um, and that's really amazing, especially for IVF, because it talks about egg health so much. And so I focused on supplements and real foods that just helped my body and my eggs and everything just be at an optimum level for health. And then I think things like the first 40 days, um, Uh, what is that one called? It's like, it's a brain health one. So it just talks a lot about babies' brain health and just a lot, a lot for me comes back to food. It's like how the food that we're eating and how we're supplementing ourselves that from a cellular level impacts our children and impacts us and also our recovery. Um, and so, yeah, if anyone listening has questions on specific books, I have a whole list that I could (laughs) probably send you.
1: Yeah, that, <clears throat> yeah, I, if you wouldn't mind if you can remember the brain one, especially, I would love to be able to put that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Um, well, I don't have any other questions. If you don't have anything else to add,
0: no, um, that was amazing. Thank yeah, you so much cool. for having me.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Um, you, you hit on it and said, you know, you don't, and not that, I, you know, you don't like to, to share your your birth story a ton because it it can maybe come off as, quote, negative only because it wasn't exactly what you imagined it would be. But we can see the positives and glean from that and learn from that. And I think that that's beautiful because then it can go on to empower other women. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that that's so important when women have a not so ideal experience that they're able to share it in a positive light then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not just like a, a a way to spread fear or put fear in other people, um, but to raise awareness and grow and learn and be able to then, you know, spread that message and, hopefully go on to empower other women with a similar situation to have a more empowering and positive experience. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time to share, you know, all of that and the things that you went through and what you've learned through your experience. And yeah, it's, it's, it's great to be able to spread that message and raise that awareness. And I'm, Mm. I'm grateful.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Danielle. I appreciate you saying that.
1: Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you were encouraged in some way through this story. As a reminder, please rate and review our podcast, and you can connect with us on social media at Birth Journeys Podcast. For more information or to share your own story, please visit birthjourneyspodcast.com and fill out the brief questionnaire. See you next time!